For years, the Democratic Party has defined itself as distinct from Republicans, mainly on the basis that it's the corporate party that likes minorities, whereas Republicans are climate-denying bigots. Turns out, the entrance of Bloomberg into the race has exposed that those rules are somewhat flexible. Just look at his record. His stop-and-frisk policy was ruled an unconstitutional violation of rights by a New York federal court. He blamed poor, disproportionately black and brown people for the financial crisis. He pushed for social security cuts, and he bankrolled Republicans who opposed climate action. Heck, he was a Republican until recently, supporting George W. Bush in an address at the 2004 Republican National Convention. The president deserves our support. We are here to support him. And I am here to support him. Look, I get it. The number one priority of most Democratic voters is beating Trump. But it doesn't help us much if we replace him with someone who shares so many of his worst qualities. For example, Bloomberg and Trump are actually aligned on the issue of stop and frisk. They just keep saying, oh, it's a disproportionate percentage of a particular ethnic group. That may be, but it's not a disproportionate percentage of those who witnesses and victims describe as committing the murder. In that case, incidentally, I think we disproportionately stop whites too much and minorities too little. Does that sound familiar? I wouldn't judge you for thinking he's one turnstile jumper away from taking out a full page ad in the New York Times calling for extrajudicial punishment, a la Donald Trump. And it's not just his record on racial issues. Bloomberg has had 64 sexual harassment and discrimination cases filed against him and is known to be almost as sexist and cruel as our current president. A return to civility? Sure, if you think that going from grabbing by the you-know-what to <clears throat> allegedly nice tits is an improvement. But more important than civility takes is this. All of Bloomberg's flaws, Trump will exploit them. And Trump will win. He's just better at it. Have you seen Bloomberg's anemic attempts at pushing back against Trump? I'm not talking about his glossy ads. I'm talking about this. Now, if I were for Texas, I might say he's Donald Trump is scared as a cat at the dog pound. Meanwhile, just as he did in 2016, Trump will run to the left of Bloomberg. He'll trumpet his work on criminal justice, the release of Alice Johnson, his support of HBCUs, and the low black employment rate. Remember when Trump brought all of Bill Clinton's accusers to the debate following the Access Hollywood tape? If you look at uh, Bill Clinton, far worse, minor words, and his was action. We know that Trump isn't above doing the same thing to Bloomberg, who has ties to quite a few unsavory people himself. Including Trump. I friend of Donald Trump's. He's a New York uh, well, I've actually been quoted saying you're a big fan, but let me ask you, do you take This is the most important point. These vulnerabilities mean that Bloomberg simply isn't electable. Unfortunately, many Democrats seem not to care. The trouble is we have two corporate parties. Loose campaign finance rules mean that politicians on both sides of the aisle are competing to raise millions of dollars for TV ads that are scarily effective at dictating popular opinion. The Democratic Party used to be the party of labor. Today, it's not entirely clear who working people are supposed to turn to. In 2016, some of them turned to Trump. Others stayed home, frustrated about the choice between two candidates whose resumes are largely defined by their relationship with Wall Street. Today, we risk repeating that mistake, as Michael Bloomberg, the final level mega boss of corporate candidates, is gaining stream across the country. He has spent nearly three times on ads as the entire non-billionaire Democratic field combined. And it's working. Without having to attend a single debate, without laying claim to any policy ideas, Without responding to the questions of a single voter, he has managed to rise to the top of the polls. This is an important point. Normally, when you see a lot of ads, you presume it's because someone is popular, 
electable even. But Bloomberg isn't able to buy these ads because of donations, which would indicate support from everyday Americans. It's because he has $60 billion in wealth. Bloomberg is the 14th richest man in the world. He makes more money than fellow billionaire candidate Tom Steyer's total worth every year from interest alone. This year, he's not using that money to buy another mansion in an offshore tax haven or go on some high-octane vacation a la The Most Dangerous Game. He's using it to buy our democracy. You think I'm being melodramatic? Under the DNC debate rules, a candidate had to reach certain fundraising and polling thresholds to enter the debates. These rules are what led to candidates like Cory Booker, Tulsi Gabbard, Kirsten Gillibrand, and Andrew Yang missing some debates and ultimately dropping out. But when Bloomberg entered the race, the DNC, who just happened to receive a $300,000 gift from Bloomberg, well, they changed the rules. Because he's using his own money, Bloomberg is even less accountable to voters than politicians who rely on donations from corporate lobbyists. He can literally do whatever he wants, which is great if you think he's a benevolent savior. But here's the thing, he's the worst. In February, a month where we should be hyper-conscious about the legacy of anti-Black discrimination, one of the most racist politicians I have ever had the pleasure to not vote for is gaining fast in African-American support. And a disappointing number of establishment Democrats has been shockingly silent about what a Michael Bloomberg presidency would mean for the Black Americans whose personal liberties he so wantonly disrespects and for American democracy as a whole. We quite simply cannot let this happen. So please volunteer, make calls, canvas, and donate like our democracy is at stake. Because it is. This is Hear the Burn, a podcast about the people, ideas, and politics that are driving the Bernie 2020 campaign and the movement to secure a dignified life for everyone living in this country. My name is Brianna Joy Gray, and I'm coming to you from campaign headquarters here in Washington, D.C. This week, I spoke to two Black independent media voices who have been on the front lines of pushing back against establishment figures who are all too willing to throw marginalized groups under the bus to advance the corporate interests of the Democratic Party. First, I spoke to Tim Black, whose YouTube show provides a left perspective and much-needed catharsis to hundreds of thousands of listeners. Then, I spoke to an emerging voice on the left, Justin Jackson, a running back for the LA Chargers who has amassed a cult Twitter following with his preternatural ability to expose the establishment's worst impulses. Both conversations, recorded prior to the recent circulation of Bloomberg's viral and vile recordings, provide useful context for understanding what Black voters are looking for and how progressivism is very much our movement, too. Happy Black History Month! Let's get started. So I'm so glad to be joined today by Tim Black, who's a a real player in the left media space, which, as we've discussed many times on this show, is so important to advancing, um, I think, some of the messaging and ideals that are shared broadly in the left movement, but aren't often as visible in the mainstream media. So welcome and thank you for being here today. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's good to see you. And this is amazing. And uh, <laughs> go Bernie, right? <laughs> right. Right. So I, I, I want to, uh, for people who might not be as familiar with you and your work, can you tell us a little bit about how your, what your journey to left media was like? Okay. Well, I've been at this for, since 2012, right? Mm. I started out just covering social issues. Mm-hmm. Someone got shot or if there was someone on death row mm. or we were complaining about sentencing, mass incarceration, uh, anything that kind of hit the radar. For instance, we would talk definitely about Kobe mm. Um, mm. and uh, Erica Garner, yes. th- these types of issues, up through the 13th. And then something strange happened. So my viewers said, Tim, you got to check out this guy named Bernie Sanders. <laughs> really? And I was like, what up, man? Politicians, they lie like a rug. <laughs> I voted for Obama. You tricked me. You know? And I was like, oh, I'm not interested. And they just stayed on me. Now, these were my millennials, right? Mm. They're like, no, Tim, you always talk about you want to change, you know, change the country. It's going to take policy, bro. Mm. 
And I said, okay, I'll check him out. And I was shocked. You know, we got this Jewish guy from New York, you know, um, and he's different. We, you know, we're not, you know, we're not twins or anything. We got different backgrounds, right? And he was talking about the issues that I was talking about, mm-hmm. the same stuff. And he'd been talking about it 10, 20, 30, 30 plus years at that time, right? I don't want to age him too much <laughs> or myself. And Fair I was just the track record. Yeah. Of being able to go back in the encyclopedia and see that he was he never wavered. He's always been outspoken. He was never like, I'm just gonna go with the crowd. I'm gonna I'm gonna do what you tell me to do. No, he yeah. was always a vanguard. And that's and that's what got me into politics around twenty fifteen. Okay, and did then the did your show then switch to being uh, to having a more political focus at that yeah. point, yeah. or was it kind of did it sneak up on you? Was no, it a concerted choice? Yeah. Well, you know, it became I got I got burned. What is it? Burnstormed. I got you know I, I got motivated to it because I saw this opportunity. I said, you know, we got to get Bernie elected in twenty sixteen. So I went full in. Mm. It's what I believed. The beauty of being independent media is you get to choose your own content. You mm-hmm. get to choose your own topics. There's no overseers, no overlords. Right. And contrary to some people's opinion, what they think, I actually went down in viewership in the beginning. Mm. Because my people didn't want politics. Like, we will listen to a little, but what's up with Roseanne? You know? <laughs> Interesting. What's going on with the Knicks? You know, like, they're huh. like, I thought, what happened to all the other stories? But um, so so at first, things went the other way. Mm-hmm. People people got turned off and I had to create a new audience. Mm. Uh, and, and as it, you know, as it grew, as I kept going, new people came in and they were more susceptible. And then some of the older people start coming back mm. because, you know, things heat up around 2016. They start getting a little fever themselves. Mm-hmm. So it was that type of slow pull kind of. So I noticed that you hit the the consistency point really hard just there. Bernie has not just been saying the right thing. He's been saying the right thing for a really long time. And I have noticed, and tell me if you, you've noticed this as well, I feel like I hear that point especially emphasized when I talk to my black friends and family. And to me, what what I've taken from that, or my, what my, my hypothesis is, is that because we're a group that feels perhaps particularly betrayed by the political establishment in various ways, who feels like we're courted only periodically, once every four years, et cetera, that having someone who does have that kind of record of consistency engenders a trust that is not necessarily there with every old random senator from a state like Vermont. Uh, perfect. Perfect analogy or analyzing of that. Perfect. That's exactly what I would say. Most of us are conditioned Mm. for the, uh, was it, the Sundays every other Christmas or (laughs) whatever. They come through on election time on Sundays at the black church, right? Right. That's what they do. So that's the guard. The guard's already up Mm -hmm. and they're already, you know, susceptible for that. The the radars are are beaming on that focus. Mm -hmm. So when you show that Bernie, no, no, he's been saying the same thing, not just election time. He's saying it to empty rooms. Yeah. He's saying, you know, he's been talking about ending mass incarceration before it was cool, before Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Okay? So once that settles in and people realize that, it's like, okay, now let me take a fresh look. And that's what I think independent media has to do. We have the opportunity to educate them to the history, the long, the long road that he's been on. Yeah. So do you think that you're, there are other particular issues or policies that your audience is is more responsive to? Because um, as we're, we're entering this kind of, you know, voting period, like this pedal to the metal, it's, it's go time, and we're going to get through Iowa and start going into states that have more racial diversity, South Carolina, et cetera. There's a lot of conversation now about how do candidates – um, engender the trust of black voters? How do how do candidates attract black voters? And, you know, luckily, Bernie Sanders has been neck and neck with Joe Biden among black voters when asked, right. who are you open to voting for? But still, I think there's this desire to really earn and lock in those votes with some, not just the kind of generalized trust, but particular policy, Helling's right. uh, particular policies. In your, from your perspective, are there certain issues that seem to be resonating more with your audience? Absolutely. Tangibles. Tangibles. Tangible policies that address economic issues. Mm. So for me, at the time, I had a nine to five when we started. Mass incarceration were cousins, nephews, friends, neighbors. Yeah. But you can't just stop there. Of course, Bernie Sanders' most robust uh, safety for all mm-hmm. uh, program plan, most comprehensive of any program out there. More people need to talk about it. I want to shout it from the rooftops. Yeah. But 
economics has to be a focus point as well. And I, I think for the, the there's this thing going on where people are talking about reparations, mm-hmm. but really they're just talking about doing better. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kids, the children doing better, getting out of the hole economically. And we know black folks hit hard with the housing crisis. So that whole shebang is where I think the policies need to be focused. Economics and upward mobility. Well, I'm told all folks. the time, Tim, that people, that black people don't care about economics. <laughs> what I'm told on the internet is that it is to talk about economics is to, in some way, undermine the importance of racially specific programs or racially specific needs or grievances. And are you telling me that somehow I've, I've got the wrong feet on that? No, I think <laughs> people love to feel affirmed that, yes, we have racial issues. There are some candidates who won't even say the word black. It's hard to talk to me without saying it because my name is too black. But you know what I'm saying. So that's like a slap in the face. Like, mm. hey, we're here. We're the most loyal voting block, particularly, you know, uh, for the Democratic Party. And 90% of the time we vote Democrat down the line. People don't even hesitate. But what are we getting for that vote? Mm. Okay, so I agree. Yeah, yeah. Talk about. But Bernie's always like he, he'll, he'll send out a communicate, a communi- uh, an email, some formal way to address an issue. He's not. I haven't seen a problem with that. But he just needs to tag it into mm. the economics. So is there a way we could say, okay, well, this is what's going on in our communities. This is a solution. Economics plays in. Race is a factor. I think just mentioning that race is a factor goes a long way. I think that's right. And easing people's minds that, hey, he's not going to be like, I don't want to name too many names, but he's not going to be like some <laughs> others right. who would just, you know, omit that there is a racial issue. Right. Do you find, particularly having an, an online base, um, there, Bernie supporters are known to be more engaged online. Certainly we have a larger social media footprint than other campaigns. Yeah. Bernie Sanders, by a long stretch, has more Twitter followers. We're the first campaign to have a Twitch stream, and I think still the only, with the exception of maybe Donald Trump. Which is an interesting company, <laughs> um, but you know he understands. I think in a way that some Democrats have been slow to pick up on the real power of social media and the real power of communicating with people online. Um, you know the Joe Rogan interview that Bernie Sanders did, getting eight million views in the first couple of days. Yeah. You know where do you see your influence in the influence of left media going forward? Bernie is one of those people, one of the very few of that Trump. I think is the only contender in that realm. You look at the follower count of some of these other candidates. It's like, hey, I'm more popular, and I'm not running for anything. (laughs) Maybe maybe that's about it. But yeah, and and you would you would think that they would have more focus. Yeah. So a lot of the complaints that we get, right? We're too aggressive. Well, Bernie has big ideas. Right. People get excited when you talk about big ideas. We talk about healthcare for everybody, right? What the problem is, these other candidates are not exciting a base. They don't have a base to really speak of. Just keeping it one hundred. They don't have a base to speak of. (laughs) And Bernie, Bernie does because he he's exciting people because his policies are exciting. Yeah. So they say, well, we're too exuberant. We have we're, we're brash. We're rude. Well, we care. Yeah, they, they, they could pretty much go Klobuchar or Biden or this or Buttigieg and kind of be okay because they're all yeah. the same. The policies, none of them have policies that stick out. Yeah, I struggle with this because I want to be sensitive to the narrative. Um, there is obviously somebody somewhere. Many of the complaints are not in good faith, but there is obviously somebody somewhere who thinks, you know someone was mean to them online, right? And I don't want to be entirely dismissive of the fact that, of course, there's some supporters in every group that are going to act out. I've certainly been on the receiving end of a lot of that from from other supporters. But at the same time, what frustrates me is the kind of pushback that says, why do you guys behave as though Bernie is the only way? Why do you guys behave as though it's all or nothing with his policies? Why do you say things like our lives are on the line and, and, and comments that, from from their perspective, seem to be kind of, um, you know, exaggerated or hyperbolic, and I I want to I want to take that complaint seriously because I hear it a lot, but at the same time, when you are supporting a candidate who offers policies that are so separate and apart and far above and and beyond what other people are offering, and moreover, are about these existential areas, whether it's climate change or whether or not I'm going to be able to treat a terminal illness because I'm poor. You know, these are not the kinds of things, you know, if there's going to be litmus tests, I don't know that the bar is, should be set 
so low that poor people shouldn't die because they're poor mm. is an unconscionable thing to say online. Right. <laughs> well, it is, uh, it is hard for them to accept that we are fixated on one candidate. We won't just move to other candidates just willy-nilly. And in a platform, right? Like it's, it's but that, if, if Bernie were to betray some aspect of his uh, platform tomorrow, I think a lot of people would say, oh, well, <laughs> like yeah, not this guy. Right. <laughs> That's what they don't understand. Right. That's, that's not what you want. All, all, I think no matter who you are, me for instance, I want people to say, Tim's special. He's different. I, you know, there are other great people. Crystal's great. Yeah. Soccer's great. <laughs> but I like Tim. And that's what you want, right? Sure. So that's not my fault that I'm unique, that I'm different. Sure. That I have my own tone and way I've delivered a message. Bernie is further than that. I mean, um, there are people who love Game of Thrones. You wouldn't just say, go watch The Wire. That's a different audience. <laughs> and Bernie has policies. Yeah. So it's not just the window dresser. And Bernie never says, it's me or the highway. Right. It's not me, us. Right. He's the opposite. But the policies are so um, important. They mean so much. They resonate in lives. My dad, he has a, he has cancer. Mm, I'm sorry. And um, he has, uh, his medication is $1,000 per pill. Ugh. My dad would only live... Maybe a week. Yeah. If we don't get Medicare for all, if he loses his job. He's 72. Yeah. He still has to work full time. There's nothing for people who don't have a job, who don't have full medical coverage. Yeah. This is not. So the behind the passion, the, the, the noise, the, 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 the loud footprint that we have as, as Bernie supporters are real people with real stuff going on. Our dads and moms, there yeah. are kids living in the, living who are in college who can't afford dorms right here in Baltimore, um, who who are living in the streets to go to school right now. And you're saying, and Pete Buttigieg is saying, ah, we don't want to give kids college because you know, um, you know, we don't want rich kids to get it. Well, rich kids are going to go to great schools. They're going to go to private universities oh, no matter what. So my, the my difference least is favorite. Right, right. <laughs> That one makes me insane. I had to lighten the mood. I was getting down. But <laughs> the point is, these are real issues. So, yeah, people are going to be more passionate. And, yes, okay, so maybe you have to walk a different line, Brie. Because you're, you're <laughs> a little bit. secretary. But Tim Black's going to say, yeah, we're loud and we're damn proud to be loud because this is people's lives we're talking about. This yeah. ain't the popularity contest. There's people's lives I want to help save. There's children I care about, neighbors, people I may meet, people I may never meet, yeah. people across the globe from Palestine to uh, Switzerland. I don't know. But <laughs> everywhere. Like this. So I, I believe that strongly about Bernie's candidacy. Not him as an individual. I haven't had the pleasure to meet him. <laughs> right? But his policy and what it means for us. I, I'm curious. Um, you're such a compelling voice. And you are really in the trenches in a way that not everybody is. What, how did you first get the idea to even start an online platform? Because you said you started in 2012. And around that time, it wasn't you know the early days of YouTube per se. Right. But we're close enough to the beginning of this whole online journey that it was still kind of in the early days, sure, right? Sure. And I wonder how the landscape has changed and if you were surprised by how much um, power and influence has now become centered on the YouTube space. Well, I started off in journalism. Mm. I worked for a newspaper here in D.C. called The Capital Spotlight. Mm. Circulation, like 55,000. But I had my own column. <laughs> and I got a front page a couple of times and had been on the Kathy Lee's morning show. Mm. But... I had a family, mm. and I couldn't survive on basically nothing. Journalism doesn't pay well till you start doing really well, as you may know. Yeah, um, so yeah. I had to kind of put it away and focus on the job, went into IT, but I always had this. So when YouTube started to pop, I said, you know, I wasn't looking to make this full time. I'm just going to, I got off work, I come home, I make content. And I said, I'll just talk about things that matter to me. Yeah. That's all. But I had a job. So that's the beauty of independent media mm. is that you do, it's not a job. It, hopefully people approach it not as a job where you have to do X, Y, Z, but more freedom to say, this is what I really care about. This is real. This is genuine. This is not to make money. And just fortunately, I was able to get enough people where now I can sustain this mm. full time and without any influence. So- uh, I'm fine if if people don't like that I'm a Bernie supporter. 
I'm fine if they get turned off because <laughs> I don't need everybody. Well, what are your offline conversations like? Like, what's your when you're dealing with family and friends who perhaps aren't engaged in politics on a daily <laughs> basis? Is there a different approach? Do you have, you know, I, I want our listeners to have some tips and tricks of the trade as yeah. we're going into these last kind of persuasive weeks when yeah. things are getting really hot and heavy. Well, keep, you know, I have this button here, so no Joe button. <laughs> I wear my memorabilia. I let people know what's up, what I believe. My mom, for instance, uh, she says, every time she calls me, she says, how's your boy Barney doing? She knows his name, Barney. Like, Mom, you always play, you know. Uh, he's gonna, she gonna, is he going to beat Trump? I hope he beat Trump. But, you know, so I, I have friends that call me from school. I saw you. You had Nina Turner. Man, you had Nina Turner. And who was that guy from Ben & Jerry's, you know? So, so I'm like an evangelist of progressive politics, but in a way that talks about home issues. I tell people all the time, talk about something that affects people. With me, it's my dad. Mm. Um, with you or someone else that may be school loans. Yeah. There are people retiring who still have student debt. It's the fastest growing population uh, is seniors, of people who are afflicted by student debt. And something like 60,000 seniors had their Social Security checks garnished last year for student debt payments. An idea or a policy that would alleviate that pain for millions of folks, that's not something to get excited about. Oh, maybe they're not excited about uh, Amy because Amy's not talking about it. She's talking about mm-hmm. Pell Grants. Yo, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm, I'm over 40, and we were talking about Pell Grants when I was in high school. That's your exciting idea. Yeah. That's what pragmatism is. I don't think we want that type of pragmatism. We yeah. need we need our seniors to be worried about how they're gonna spend time with their grandkids and if they're gonna go to for on a vacation or enjoy their golden years, not worry about can they are they gonna leave their kids school debt because yeah. Joe Biden made it hard to discharge it. Hello? So when you start tying the issue to something real. It's not just talk anymore. It's not just rhetoric. It's not just those political people. It's real stuff. So, so are the is is Joe Biden people who are you know supporting Joe Biden? Is that what you're mostly encountering in either online or in your personal life when you're talking to <laughs> to voters and trying to flip them? Yeah, you know what? Not so much. There are people that are like uh, black folks, for instance, that I know who are over 40, 45. They know Joe, so they're like, yeah, Joe Biden. That's just because they know his name. But they know Bernie's name as well. Mm. But they don't know about Joe Biden. Mm. They don't know that Joe Biden was on a, you know, that he, uh, for instance, that he uh, busing or segregation. Mm-hmm. They don't know anything about segregation, about busing. Um, they don't know anything about Joe Biden uh, with the with the student debt. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many issues with Joe Biden. I'm Social kind of security. Social security. Like, oh. Okay. Yeah. Uh, actually, like that one message is all you need. Yeah, Joe Biden, he said he wants, well, you know what? Just play the tape. <laughs> they see him say that yeah. it's a rap, and I and like I was telling my wife like we need to let more people know about this. So yeah. if I can just tell one person, get one person to get it, and have them share it, I've done something. But I want to reach a million once somebody's with that message. Yeah, I think the the potency of talking about Joe Biden's record on cutting Social Security and for those who haven't listened, we talked about it in some depth on an episode a couple episodes ago with um, Crystal Ball. You know, I think that when when you look at how the mainstream media has pushed back against that, how prickly they got when we started talking about that with the attack ad coming out from Joe Biden and, you know, tell the truth, Joe Biden starts trading the next day because everyone, there's these internet clashes about him trying to misrepresent his record. They know that that's a vulnerable point. Yeah. You know, the, the the mainstream backlash really illustrates how much it, it, they are well aware that for seniors and black people in particular who disproportionately rely on Social Security in old age um, for upwards of 90 percent of our income. I think it's something like 50 percent of black American seniors um, rely on Social Security for 90 percent, 90 percent and more of their retirement income, that that is a losing proposition if that gets out into the ether. So I really appreciate you drumming that drum and and singing that point home because there's too many of our particularly more vulnerable seniors um, that depend on these social programs. I think if you take what you just said about the disproportionality of black folks being affected by it and then you sprinkle in race. Mm. And you say the reason why. The reason mm. why, well, systemic racism, institutional racism. Absolutely. And lack of access, lack of ability to build wealth over the years has disproportionately put us vulnerable, relying on the Social Security check, not these investments. And when they talk about how the economy is booming, that's stocks and buybacks of stocks and corporations in only, what, 5% or 10% yeah. of Americans even have Very stock few. in those corporations. But you, you mention that, that's a lot to say to those black voters, oh, they get it. 
They yeah. understand it, right? They understand the race and economics thing, and you put it both together. Absolutely, the and there's a there's a health implication there too, with with the life expectancy of black men being so low that enormous numbers of black people will never draw their social security checks, and if they do, only do it for a short period of time. And now we have people like Joe Biden and Republicans trying to raise the retirement age. It's going to disproportionately affect us, given that we're living in a world due to health disparities, et cetera. We're also just not even surviving as long. I mean, it's compounding harms on compounding harms, and so. Yeah, I, I entirely agree with you. I think we'll be talking about continuing to talk about that a lot more as a campaign, especially as we head into some uh, of the, the southern states. I think it's going to be a it's going to sell itself. It's not much you need to do. Um, I, I just I would just like to say that we just be more forceful. I know people are saying we need to be more civil. Um, I just think that's the wrong way to go because it's crunch time. People crunch need time. to hear. Now, I know. Need to turn the toe, Missy said, Tim. Soft on people, hard on issues. Right. Soft on people, hard on issues, right? But meanwhile, they're trashing her at every turn. I've had to jump in the defense. Susan Sarandon, Nina Turner, I got a little army. We got a wolf pack. We had to go in there and like calm them down. And, and, and because these people just go relentlessly. It's yeah. like our, our supporters, um, our voices, our, our people to speak truth to power, they get bombarded all the time. So I, I know, I take a personal that they chastise Nina the way they do, the way that they go after Susan and blame her for all the faults of a campaign of millions <laughs> the of entire with, with, world. They, like, everything is Susan's red. It's just Susan's fault. <laughs> right, like, it's really? One my ankle. It was Susan. <laughs> <laughs> truly, it's truly. It absurd. rained today. And, Nina and Susan right. did it. And, and Senator Turner and Susan Sarandon they both act with an incredible amount of grace in the face of that onslaught. So I look to them as examples and I do a hoosah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I try to follow their lead because ultimately I think that Senator Turner is right. Um, people act out and people who have acted out in the past have now in 2020 shown a remarkable ability to kind of uh, come to terms with and be honest about the fact that they didn't don't like what they were when they look back in 2016. I mean, I'm continuing continually blown away by Peter Dow and his wife Leela's transformation and how, um, you know, forthright and open they've been about seeing things differently this time around. And how can you say that you are the redemptive party? How can you say you're the party that understands that um, you need to get to the root causes of, let's say, criminal justice, and you need to understand that people are largely created by their environment, and that you know you want to be able to rehabilitate people when they come out of prison, and prison isn't supposed to be a death sentence, and and to you know to want to take away the barriers for people to connect with their families in prison and and get rid of all of the expense around making phone calls, et cetera, the way that Bernie has plans to do. And how can you say that you buy into all of that and and respecting the humanity of all of us, regardless of our carceral status, and then want to take away one of the most intrinsic rights that we have in this country, right? And so you can't have it both ways. You can't have uh, to say you're, you know, a progressive right. and be against prisoners voting or be against accepting and forgiving people in your personal life. Yeah. People, you know, people who, yes, yeah, there's some crappy stuff online. If I can't forgive Peter Dow right. for saying some crappy stuff online, right. how am I going to say that I am going to be a criminal justice advocate True. for people who have done, you know, real things that are bad yeah, you know, in this did. world? Well, you know, just to, I know, I don't think you meant to like go there, go there as far mm. as the criminal justice thing, mm. as far as incarcerated. But I got to say, mm. you know how I feel about this. Mm. I mean, uh, you don't want people to vote because th- th- what's their pushback? Oh, well, they might be influenced by the prison warden might make them all vote for this. Oh, let's fix that. Let's fix the coercive nature that. of let's the prison Let's lock that little warden up. But you mean, you don't put, you know, let's give these people back their rights. Right. Let's give them their rights back. That's not an excuse. Horrible argument. And I saw some people go along with them. Like, okay, well, I, I, I'm, I'm going to have to speak about that. But yeah, I, I agree. And same th- same reason why I don't support the death penalty. Right. There are like it's not that I enjoy that someone was murdered, but right. my thing is our system has shown that it cannot be trusted, unbiased. Right. That we know this, right. and if we know that, you're putting people to death that don't deserve it. You're putting people. You're putting innocent people. How many times have we seen someone exonerated by a DNA test from something they were sitting on death row? Yeah. Okay. So. And principle, I think this is what what you were saying. In principle, Bernie said, "I can't support this thing." Right. 
I don't care what people think. This is what I believe. Right. And to be consistent. And that's why I love the guy. Yeah. It's not because I, I think he's funny. I like him when he was with Larry David. <laughs> yeah. You know, but this is why I love him because I feel that he's he's not going to change. He's not going to be like, oh, now I'm, I'm this new person. Look at me. I think he's going to stay the same. And he's he's focused. And, and I just love that. I love the fact that he's rigid in his belief systems. We need more people like that. All yeah. great relationships to build on stability. You should be rigid about your ethics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> right. what I mean. That's what I, you know what I mean. Like, yeah, I no. believe that you know we need existential threat is you know and climate change. And, you know, and and be focused on that. And like, did somebody wants to say we're gonna bring back coal jobs, even though you think of the wind votes in the West Boat, you're like, no, we need to go another way because. And I love that because it's true, it's real, and we're not selling people a dream. Right, and to still be able to have those conversations and advocate for. Um, you know, the Green New Deal while respecting the humanity of those that are going to be impacted and say, the way we get around this is not to say, oh, well, you lost your coal job, but to say, we are going to provide for you with a Green New Deal jobs program. We're going to make sure that we can respect the humanity of everybody who's impacted, whether you're impacted because you are the subject of environmental racism or you're someone who is now going to have to transition into a new realm of employment because the job that you had was not sustainable. And that that threat of humanism is truly what gives me the confidence to join this campaign in this capacity. You know, I I was a journalist. I have no interest in, you know, shoveling for for anybody. And I wouldn't have joined if I felt like I was going to have to do that or if somehow my own personal values were not going to be in alignment with what's going on in this campaign. And so I'm heartened to be here. I'm heartened to have allies like you with me in the struggle. Can you tell listeners where to find you? They want to watch your show or any other projects that you have going on that we should know about? Sure. Uh, go to TimBlackTV.com for all that stuff. I'm on every platform that you're on. It's Real Tim Black. We do show uh, Monday through Fridays at 10 p.m. On Fridays, we got a call-in show. And it's great because people call in from all over the world, not just the United States. People love Bernie in Australia, mm. Japan. Like People call from all over the world, literally Say, we're praying for you. We're then down under in Australia, but we're praying. I'm like, wow, okay, cool. So, so yeah, join me there. But um, I'm I'm just gonna keep doing what I'm doing, Bree. I believe in it. I I don't get paid to support Bernie. I do because I believe in the policy. I believe in the vision, and I love the organization. I love what you guys are doing. I don't sit around, you know, and say uh, and think that uh, this it's that there is no way for us to succeed. I think positively about what we need to do to succeed. Mm. And I think that's part of it. Mm. I think some people are afraid to have hope, Mm. literally. You know what I'm saying? But if we get out in the streets... Bernie said, it's, it's not just me. It's going to take all of us. We gotta, so, yeah. So it's more than just Bernie. It's going to be what we do as a community. And that's what we're trying to build. Thank you. Thank you for that revolutionary spirit of yours. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. by Justin Jackson today on Hear the Burn. Uh, If you don't know him from being a breakout star on Twitter on the left recently, (laughs) he plays football in the NFL for the LA Chargers. Thank you so much for joining me today, Justin. I appreciate you having me on, Bramley. So part of why I really, really have been wanting to talk to you is because you're part of this phenomenon of people who perhaps weren't necessarily that involved in politics, but who've been really 
galvanized by the mm. progressive movement that, at least in the yes. context of this election, is you know led by Bernie Sanders. Can you tell me a yes. little bit about your radicalization or your politicization? So for me, it all kind of started in 2016. Granted, I was 18 years old, so that was kind of when I first was able to vote and everything. So that's kind of when I had my political awakening. But it really, unfortunately, happened like after the primary was already over, and really in the general. And where I went to school, Northwestern, like we had a lot of very like socially conscious, maybe not as politically conscious, but a lot of socially conscious people on the team we used to have a lot of debates. And it really kind of set the stage for me because when I like participating in those those debates, I always wanted to be knowledgeable about the topics mm. I was talking about. And when politics came up, I just didn't know that much. Um, you know, I felt like I was a Democrat because my parents were and like I nominally agreed with their platform more so than the uh, Republican platform. But that's really was like the extent of my political knowledge. I had a hard time kind of explaining to some of my teammates like why they should vote for a Democrat or Republican because I just didn't know much. So I had to become a lot more knowledgeable. And for me, like I tried to watch cable news, but they just weren't talking about anything substantive. Mm. Um, they were just talking about Trump's tweets or <laughs> emails or this is just like random stuff that necessarily didn't make you want to vote for somebody. It wasn't like you should vote for them because of this. It was like, well, this person has character flaws. Mm. This person has that. So that's why I wanted to dive deeper into the political history behind just Democrats versus Republicans, left versus right wing issues, but also the candidates history and their voting records and all that type of stuff. And so that's when I kind of became like, well, I don't think I really like either of these candidates very much because I, I don't. I'm, I don't necessarily agree with either of their platforms. Mm. And that's when I started to discover Bernie and some of the, and just the progressive movement in general. And I right, right away, I was like, this is what I relate to. This is what I believe in. This is the type of policies I think that we'll need going forward to really improve this country as a whole. And for me, I come from a upper working class, middle class family. Mm -hmm. But my parents, they grew up in very working class, poor communities. Mm -hmm. And so I know that these are the type of policies that are going to need need to be implemented to fix those communities that maybe I didn't necessarily come from, but that my parents came from, mm -hmm. that a lot of people I know came from. That's really why I want, I kind of, like you said, I was galvanized by this progressive movement and I related most with that and I wanted to push those policies forward. I want to come back to ask you about what specific policies were the ones that really drew you in in the first instance. I'm curious about this this media piece where you found consuming mainstream media to be kind of unsatisfying and not especially informative. I am someone who comes from the independent media world, having worked for The Intercept. We had Crystal Ball from Rising yeah. on, on the show recently. I'm curious what sources you found to be useful and how you managed to connect to them. You know, how did you discover left yeah. media? Yeah, so what I think is so awesome about this day and age, right, is social media. And for me, like, because I couldn't find those outlets on cable news and because I was like in college, I was on the go a lot, obviously with football and class, like, and so YouTube became a huge thing for me. And that's where I found like the Young Turks. That's where I found Kyle Klinsky and Secular Talk and the Rational National and uh, Jimmy Dore and all these type of huge, like progressive platforms where they would actually talk about real issues. And that's what I love so much is they'd have 20, 30 minute long segments about real issues, about voting records, about it wasn't just like you're hearing surface level talk on the on TV or even in the debates like you, they didn't dive deep in anything. But when I was watching these on these platforms, I was actually I feel like I was becoming more knowledgeable on this stuff. Like I was actually learning stuff that I could use, like to say, well, this is why I support this person. It's not just because they're a Democrat. No, I support this person because they support Medicare for all, because they support Green New Deal et cetera, et cetera. I think that hits home with voters and it hit home with me very much so because I don't like to get involved with this cult of personality type thing. I want to know what you've been fighting for mm. and what you will fight for and what your record is. I think being in the athletic world, like a lot of it is like you have to put on film, right? It's not just about you saying you're going to do this. It's about what have you actually put on film, mm. right? That's what I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe what you've actually done, what I can actually see. When it came to the pro progressive candidates and people like Bernie, it's like, well, he's been saying this stuff for years and years and years. This isn't just like, oh, he's flip-flopped and whatever the way the wind blows, that's where he's going with. He's actually been fighting for this stuff, even when no one was paying attention. And that's something that I and I think a lot of other young people can respect. You worked for The Intercept. That's another print outlet that I would uh, 
look at um, the nation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I definitely was on uh, online more, but there was other progressive leaning uh, print outlets that I uh, looked at as well. That definitely helped me um, so- just, yeah, kind of radicalize my mind, like you said. I'm curious, you mentioned that you were having these political conversations at Northwestern yeah. with your teammates. Do you have them in the NFL if, with your teammates? And if so, what are they like? Do you, do you find yourself, uh, people being open to the kind of things that, that motivated you? Do you find that people have are, are having different considerations as they decide what to do in 2020? I, I'm really curious. Well, I think there's definitely less conversations in the NFL just because for the simple fact that in college, you know, you're living with these people, mm-hmm. you're going to class with these people, you're in the locker room, like after workouts, waiting for classes. So like, there's just more ample opportunity for these debates. And the NFL, it's like, we go to work and we're literally, we're working the whole day. And yeah. then once we leave, people go home to their families and all type of stuff. No one really rooms together. There's a few people, but not that many. So, but there are, there are conversations that, that are had in the locker room. And what's really interesting is that you really do find a spectrum of people. It's, it's really a microcosm of the real world. Mm-hmm. Like you have people that vote Republican. You have people that are more like moderate or whatever you want to say, center, center, right, center, left type people. And then you have people that are more uh, progressive, you know, true left uh, personalities and, and ideology. So that's why I like actually having these conversations is because I can is you kind of get out of your echo chamber. Right. You actually hear these other arguments, even though they might not be correct in my view on some of the on some of the substance i think they truly believe that you can also see the type of you can kind of hear through how they're arguing what type of media they take in Mm. yeah i mean so and that's and that's another thing where like well you said that but that's been debunked but a lot like i think a lot of people just don't dive as deep as i do into it so it's like you have to find ways to kind of talk to people and not disparage them because these are my brothers i still love them i don't care how they voted like we they're my brother you know and they would do anything for me i'd do anything for them so you have to find a way to talk to people without disparaging them while also arguing your side and why you think this is the right way for the country to go so that's what i liked about college and and the nfl is that you have that brotherhood where even if you're arguing it's like like you're arguing with a sibling like at the end of the day you're still going to love each other even if you have disagreement on the issues and and i think that's something that this country and in the political like the political atmosphere we live in, it's like sometimes that's really hard for people to do yeah. is actually have a, a good faith argument, disagreement without turning to personal attacks and without, you know, disparaging other people, which is really why I love the Bernie campaign is they never like are trying to do that, never trying to go personal on that. It's just, look, this is the record of it. We have video of it, whatever, <laughs> but we're not going to attack the person. We're just going to attack their belief on the issues. Yeah, I think that's such an important point. There's a lot of discourse about unity, right? And not wanting the kind of left versus center left divide in the Mm. Democratic Party hurt our chances down the line in a general. At the same time, a lot of the people who are kind of center left who are making that argument often seem to be really disdainful of the idea of putting together a coalition that includes different kinds of voices or having conversations with people who historically haven't always aligned with Democrats, people who are independents, you know, people who are non-voters because they haven't seen themselves in the party before. There's almost this way that we talk about Democrats and non-Democrats as though non-Democrats are traitors. And it's like a team sport. (laughs) I mean, you know, Mm. not that there's anything wrong with team sports, (laughs) <laughs> they treat they treat politics like, you know, that other person is my enemy as opposed to the way I think of it is that politics truly is about persuasion. And it's about right, putting exactly. together policies that genuinely appeal to people because they address their material needs without pandering or undermining the integrity of what we believe in in order to solicit right. those votes. And I think that's a distinction that's really important that gets blurred when people talk about partisanship or who or who we should right. or should not be talking to. The whole unity argument that, I mean, they love to say unity, but then when, okay, so if Bernie becomes the nominee, then you have to unify, like you've been saying, with the progressives. And that's who the Democratic electorate has chosen to be the nominee. So now you have to unify behind him. And then, and then it's like, whoa, well, we don't know if we're going to vote for him. So it's, you can see the hypocrisy on his face. And then at the same time, with a candidate like Bernie, who can, like you said, develop a, co- a coalition of independents. Republican voters that are dis- that are disaffected and Democrats. Well, that's something that isn't that wasn't that Hi- Hillary's whole 
strategy was to go and get moderate Republicans in the suburbs, right? That was that was the strategy. So if Bernie can go do that, that's that's what the Democratic Party has been pushing for. Then that's a good thing, right? And so I don't think I don't. We shouldn't treat that like it's a bad thing. No, it's a good thing when you're getting independence and you're getting those disaffected Republican voters who maybe are voting because of trade deals or may, right. maybe voting because, you know, their jobs have been outsourced, whatever it is. If you can get them into your coalition and build a broad coalition, that's exactly what the Democratic Party is supposed to be about, right? It's a big tent party. Right. And so I think that's something that Bernie is a candidate. He's a candidate that can do that. He has a movement that has a wide coalition among demographics, among class, Absolutely. Among race, among whatever, whatever you want to say, he has that coalition. And that's why a lot of us believe that he's the best candidate to go against Trump. Right. Such such a big difference between courting Republican voters by advancing a Medicare, you know, health care policy that was developed by wealthy conservative elite interests right. versus attracting different kinds of voters because they actually need real health care and actually want right. and believe in the same things that working class liberals believe in, right? So you you mentioned this this coalition building aspect and you know something that Bernie was critiqued a lot for in 2016 was the relative lack of diversity in his support, although of course a lot of us people of color were supporting him back right. then. Now he has in fact the most diverse, most working class coalition in the race, and yet somehow this narrative is still following him in some quarters. So I want to ask you, as a young black man, what your perception is of how Bernie Sanders is perceived among your friends and peers when you talk about him, especially since polling-wise, we are number one and have been even back in 2016, number one with younger black voters, black voters under under 35. Yeah, so a few things on that. I think in 2016, something that's difficult for just minority communities in general is like, for us, a lot of it is trust, right? And a lot of us didn't, because he was not covered in the news media, and that's how a lot of, especially older Black voters, take in their news is through, just older voters in general, but especially older Black voters is through cable news. Like, because he wasn't talked about at all, I think that's a, a huge reason why a lot of Black people just went with a familiar name, right? And so I think now that he has that name recognition, he can bring in a lot of those kind of older middle-aged black voters or people of color in general into the coalition. And then when it comes to younger people, like it's just, a, I think it's a cross race. Of course it, it includes uh, young black men and women, but also just across races, young people, because we see Bernie and, and it's not about, you know, there's other obviously younger candidates that are close to our generation that are running, but it's not about that for us. It's not about pandering. Like you said to us, because you're a young, you're a young hit, cool person right. and you can dance all the time. Like, that's not what it is for us. Like, we have real issues. We're having issues starting families because of student loan debt, because of health care. Like, so a lot of people are scared to get off their parents' plan when you turn 26 because now you got to pay for your health care and it's the exorbitant cost. Like, how are you going to pay for that when you're trying to pay off student loan debt? And all those other type of stuff, there's barely any jobs. They, they tell you to go to college and you'll be fine. And you go to college, you're under this enormous amount of debt and now there's no good jobs out there for you. You know what I mean? And it's cra- like, I went to Northwestern, which is a great school. And there's still people that I know that are struggling finding a job, a, a solid job, which is just wild to me. So I think we understand those real issues and how Bernie is actually planning to address those issues. And he's not, like you said, capitulating to any other, he's not compromising his values to get us into this coalition. No, he's pushing forward the ideas he's all he's always pushed forward, and that's why we're coming into this coalition. And so I think it's very a very strong movement. Something that I love to see that people of all colors that are young are coming together for Bernie and for his movement. And it's bigger than Bernie. And like he says, it's not him. It's it's all of us. And it's and that's for me like playing team sports and and being um, um, you know becoming brothers with so many people at once is like really cool for me to see. I feel like Bernie's movement is a brotherhood, a sisterhood. It's just a it's it's a, a big group of people, a big movement of people that are all pushing to save our country, really to save the world from all these existential threats that we see that are right up on the horizon. And we really think Bernie is the candidate to kind of quell that and, and really push us towards a, a new future. Beautifully, beautifully put. I, I'm curious, do you have these conversations, not to put your family on blast, but with older relatives, with your dad, like, What's their take on all of this? Yeah, no, it's it's actually really interesting. And and for me, I've had to like, <laughs> I've had to kind of 
de uh what's the word i'm looking for because like my parents watch like cable news like <laughs> they're like kind of brainwashed into that or they at least have been and really like it's hard especially for for black people after obama in 2008 and 2012 obviously like having a black president something that a lot of especially older black people thought they'd never see in their life like having him be the president and then actually having to critique him and his and like the his presidency and his policies and stuff like that that's really difficult for black voters and for for younger black people to convince your older you know black family that look like we understand symbolically how obama was a you know a great thing for for us for our people we have to support a candidate who is pushing for policies that will help our people disproportionately and that's really he's really the only candidate doing that and it doesn't matter what he looks like it doesn't matter that he what his age is or what that none of that matters it's about the movement he has behind him and it's about the policies that he's pushing forward so for me like i've basically turned my parents into bernie voters and i've been trying to do that with the rest of my family i've been trying to educate my teammates and for a lot of them it's like a lot of us especially young black people that you know went to college and got educated like we understand that the system is so stacked against us that is very easy to be like, you know what, F that. Like, we just, we want to get away from the system overall. And I, and it's hard to be like, well, this might be our only shot. This might be the only candidate that we have that is actually going to break us out of this corporate-owned, pushing for just wealthy interest system that we have into a system that actually works for people like us and for people that we know that look like us. And so that's the conversation that I've been trying to have more and more. And it it really has been kind of taking hold in a, in a lot of the, the circles that I'm in and the circles that I see. And that's really encouraging. Well, you are doing the Lord's work. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> I'm trying. It's, it's tough. It's tough. But no, you guys are doing the Lord's work. I'm just trying to be an advocate outside. <laughs> well, part of part of what your, your advocacy obviously is happening on Twitter. I mean, that's how I kind of found you, how a lot of people found you, mm-hmm. that you were just like spitting fire on Twitter and tangling with some of the biggest names out there who yeah. <laughs> are critics of a more progressive um, policy platform. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, like, has it been difficult for you? Any, has there been any negative reaction? I don't know. How is your job? Has, has NFL, has anybody talked to you about how vocal you've been about your politics? No, they. I really have. There's been no pushback. Um, I haven't gotten talked to by anybody. Um, if anything, it's been positive. You know, I talked to my agent. I talked to some of the people. My, my agents had people text him. Like, it's just talking to like, my teammates and stuff like that. I think it's to be admired. But really, it's it's not difficult to speak your mind, and especially when it's the truth. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? If you're actually, you're just kind of kowtowing or, like, like I said earlier, capitulating to certain interests, then when you're saying it, you're kind of like, oh, uh, you know, you're kind of like sweating a little bit like, that's not something that I truly believe in. But if it's something you actually believe in, then I think it's like when you if you don't speak out, it's kind of I mean, it's really on you. You know, what I mean, I think this is a moment that we can't miss in history. And I want to make sure that my voice is heard and, and that I'm, you know, being a part of this and not being like, oh, looking back 10, 20 years from now, like I wish I could have done more in that moment to push for something that I think will really help this country. And so that's why I've been more vocal obviously the caucus are coming up and, and just the primary is about to be in full swing soon so that's something that i want to do i don't want to be like oh i missed this moment where i could have made a difference i often say i mean i'm someone who came up on on twitter myself i feel like my journalism career came from started with me tweeting a lot i don't think i would have taken this job i know i wouldn't have taken this job if i didn't feel like I was going to be doing the same thing I was doing before as a journalist, which is just speaking the truth. I have no interest in going on TV to prevaricate for some nonsense that I don't believe in. And so that what you said, it really resonates with me very strongly. It is easy to seem like you know your stuff and are really competent and Mm -hmm. committed when, in fact, you your personal beliefs are exactly aligned with the candidate that you support. Exactly. And I'm really grateful 100%. to be in that position. And I'm really grateful that we have a candidate this time around for whom a lot of Americans feel the same. Thank you so much for taking this time to talk with me today. You're such a delight. Of course. I really look forward to watching it. your young man with a long professional career ahead of you. And I also hope to see you continue to engage in politics because you're such an important voice and such an inspiring one as well. Thank you. Thank you, Brianna. I really appreciate you having, appreciate you having me on. And, uh, I hope that the campaign keeps going well and I'll do everything I can to help. 
that's it for this week. Here the Burn is produced by me, Brianna Joy Gray, Ben Dalton, and Christopher Moore. Let us know what you think at hearetheburn at berniesanders.com or else take to Twitter with the hashtag hearetheburn. I love to read your feedback on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you get these episodes. So please, please be sure to rate, review, or like us whenever you get a chance. The more you do that, the more likely it is that other people who would benefit from hearing this message will get their ears on it. Till next week.